0: a board-certified gynecologist that is fellowship-trained doing minimally invasive procedures. In this episode, we discuss Jessie's journey from gymnast and teen model to medical school and travels to Africa that would transform her perspectives and amplify her goals to help women. I am inspired by Jessie's positivity. She is a working mom balancing a very high-demanding job in the middle of a pandemic and she has three very young kids. She inspires me to take inventory of all the blessings and to reflect and to be grateful. Please enjoy this interview with the remarkable Jessica Rich. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jen. I'm happy to be here. So thrilled you're on. Big thank you to Jason Buck, the amazing entrepreneur and trader who he knows I love rock stars on the show, but also just generally in my life. And he said, if you want a fantastic woman to profile, you need to talk mm-hmm. to Jessica Rich. And he mentioned you're a doctor, but you're also you used to be a gymnast and you used to be a model and all these things. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I need to have her on. So thank you for joining <laughs>
1: No problem. And he is my brother. So you know, if he doesn't say nice things about me, I may have to to get in touch with him later.
0: He needs to talk to my brother. I don't think my brother would be so glowing. (laughs) But I'd love to rewind your highlight reel and share with our listeners where you grew up.
1: We grew up in a small town in Michigan. It was kind of one of those storybook sort of idyllic childhoods. We grew up on a lake and we would play on the lake in the summer swimming and ice skating in the winter. And I had a pretty standard family with our parents and I, I actually have two brothers. So there were three of us kids and we would spend holidays with our neighbors and ride bicycles around the neighborhood with other kids and went to the local public school. So it was a, you know, pretty sort of standard, as my husband would say, kind of Americana childhood
0: great. And then so how did you pick Brown? I'm always fascinated by how people choose the college they went to and what they decided to study. But your path led you to Brown.
1: So of course, even though that was sort of an idyllic place to grow up, like most kids, I was like ready to leave there. As soon as I hit 18, I wanted to get out and, and see a little bit more of the country, a little bit more of the world. So I definitely knew I wanted to get out of Michigan. And when I was looking at schools, I was a competitive gymnast growing up. So I spent a lot of time doing gymnastics, and I wanted to do division one gymnastics in college. But I also wanted a place that was very strong academically. So I had limited things down to, you know, a a small pool of, I think it was maybe seven or eight schools that had very strong academic programs and also had division one gymnastics. It was at the level that I wanted to compete at. And Brown was among those lists. And I, I spent some time, you know, visiting each place and with the coaches and with the teams. And what I loved about Brown is that as I was... Growing up through middle school and high school, I was I was a pretty serious kid. I was always pushing myself really hard both academically and with gymnastics. And I still wanted to push myself going forward, but I also kind of needed a break. So Brown just had this great open curriculum that allowed you to explore different areas, allowed you to take classes pass, fail if you needed to. So I didn't have to keep that sort of straight A mentality that I had you know, been growing up with to get into college. And I just, when I visited, I loved the whole... Northeastern liberal arts kind of vibe to the campus. And it just was perfectly suited for what I needed at the time.
0: And then how did you transition to the medical path?
1: Growing up, my mom told me from about first grade, you're going to be a doctor, (laughs) which I tried to rebel against a few times. But it really was, I think, the right choice for me. But So I always kind of had this in the back of my head. I was Good at science and math and humanities, which I think you have to kind of have all of those things to be a good doctor. And I spent a lot of time interacting with the medical field with sports medicine as a gymnast. So I had experience there. When I went to Brown, I did go down that path of studying human biology. But again, I wanted the opportunity to explore other areas. So I took a lot of anthropology and I took. Ghanaian drumming and dance classes and literature and a little bit of everything. And and to be honest, I think all of those packages really kind of put together nicely to make a good path to medicine. So as I went through, I realized, yes, medicine is the way that I want to go. And it worked out for me.
0: Did you want to do anything further with gymnastics?
1: No, gymnastics is one of those sports that it's not really, you don't really find many 30-year-old gymnasts. (laughs) It's a young sport. And even in college, you're kind of over the hill at that point. So, you know, when I was 12, I probably thought maybe I'll go to the Olympics. But, you know, by 14, I knew that that wasn't going to happen. So college was what I wanted to do. And I did compete all the way through college. And when I finished my senior year, I was ready to be done. My body was ready to be done. And I was ready to move on to the
0: next step. So you graduated Brown. Did you go straight to medical school?
1: I didn't. Still going along this, I wanted to question everything and make sure that I was going down the right path. So I took two years between going to Brown and going to medical school. I was still really working in the healthcare field, to be honest, because again, I think that that was where my passion was, but I wanted to make sure that being a doctor was the right way to go. So the first year out of medical school, I decided to go to India to do some research on women's health and HIV. I had been working with a group of doctors and research scientists and anthropologists at Brown who were doing projects in various places all over the world, and I was really excited about some projects that they were doing in South India, in Chennai. There was a medical student from Brown that was there already doing some research, and so I kind of joined that program and started working on a little bit more of the research aspect of things and got to see how hospitals and medicine worked in a different country, which was really interesting. And then from there, I went to San Francisco to do a little bit more of the same and apply to medical school and to (laughs) to being back in the US and doing things a little bit differently again.
0: And I know we spoke a while ago about this, but can you share your journey of actually getting accepted to medical school? Because I know that wasn't the easiest path.
1: Right. So, you know, Being a product of the 80s, I think you grow up with this idea of like, you just put your mind to something and you can, you know, work hard and you can accomplish everything you need. And of course, there are setbacks along the way, like, you know, maybe I didn't win this gymnastics competition, or maybe I got an A minus on this paper. But generally, I was able to sort of achieve everything I wanted. I think applying to medical school was the first time where that became more difficult. And I applied to, I want to say 20 schools, I got a second application or an interview to maybe six out of those 20. And I ended up interviewing at four, I got accepted to one school, and waitlisted at two other schools. So obviously, that's all it takes, you only need to get accepted (laughs) to one school. And I'm a firm believer, as I've gone through different stages in my life, that everything happens for a reason. And I think that one school was the right school for me for many reasons. But it was definitely humbling to think that I was coming in with this great package of I had good grades and good test scores and I've been, you know, working in India and research and all of these things and I got accepted to one out of 20 schools.
0: <laughs> During that process did you ever debate oh maybe this isn't for me and this is a sign. Did you take that as a sign or were you just committed to the one school that did accept you?
1: No, by that point I was pretty committed and I really loved the school that accepted me. I, I went to University of Chicago and the day that I went for my interview, I just felt like, you know, this is the place for me. And to be honest, I think that's part of what got me accepted. You can just tell when when you fit in a place and when you're the right kind of candidate for them, and they're the right kind of place for you. I think both sides feel that. And so I was very happy with with where I was accepted.
0: And then so how did you pick the, the route that you did in terms of specialty?
1: My specialty choice, again, sort of started a little bit before I got into medical school when I was doing research back at Brown, even before I went to India, I was working with a group of researchers on a lot of women's health issues. And somebody mentioned to me, well, you should be a gynecologist. And I thought, well, I don't want to just do pap smears on my life. You know, my, (laughs) my interaction at that point with gynecologists was very limited. And it didn't seem like that interesting of a field to me. But then I decided to look into it a little bit more. And there's really so much to the field, you know, between the pregnancy and office care and surgery and dealing with so many different aspects of women's health. I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoy working with women because we have such complex lives and complex problems. And, and to be honest, we take on a whole lot. So it was nice to really work with women and to deal with those types of issues going through medical school again, I wanted to sort of test that theory and try out every other specialty. And I really did enjoy a lot of the other specialties. I liked pediatrics. I liked surgery. My first rotation in vascular surgery, I thought was amazing, but really OB-GYN kind of combined those things all together. And so it, it was a good fit for me.
0: Can you share your first year of residency experience? Because I know that was a tough one for you. And you shared just earlier that not on the show, but you shared in a prior conversation, that was really hard. And you debated whether this is the path or not. So I'd love just to share with our listeners how hard that was.
1: Yeah, the first year of residency is no joke. So if somebody's trying to be a doctor for their parents or for the wrong reason, that will weed you out pretty quickly. I think it's a little bit better now. I mean, it was 12 years ago, I think, that I was in my internship, and it was definitely better for me than it was for other people decades ago, but it was hard, and I would say, you know, without some supports, I wouldn't have made it through. I was in a very vigorous residency program in New York City. It was extremely busy. The expectations were, I will say, impossibly high. As I went through my residency, I learned that, okay, what we ask our interns to do is actually not humanly possible. But at the time, you just thought, this is me. I'm not living up to the expectations. So there was a lot of crying in the bathroom. I remember one very dark morning when I was heading into the hospital for a 24-hour shift. And there was a crazy person in the subway system who was threatening to like shoot people. I don't think he actually had a weapon. I didn't get close enough to see But I remember thinking that morning, well, if I just got shot in the foot, I'd be okay, but I wouldn't have to do this shift. And at that point, I remember thinking, oh God, there's something seriously wrong. Like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) So it was tough. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of hard work, a lot of just feeling like a failure and feeling like you can't make it through and you're not good enough. And maybe this wasn't the right thing. And it's hard to see the reasons why you chose it in the first place during that time. But luckily, my now husband had already been through it. So he was a couple of years ahead of me. He had already done the intern year and he really just encouraged me to get through it. It's not always going to be like this. He reminded me of sort of my achievements to get there and that I was capable and that I could make it work. And I'm, I'm so glad that he did because it did get better <laughs> and it was worth it.
0: That's awesome. So rewinding a little bit, I know Jason, I mentioned a few things. One, you went to Africa.
1: Africa was something I did. I lived in Swaziland for the summer between my first year of medical school and my second year of medical school. The University of Chicago has this great fellowship that they call the Human Rights Fellowship. And it's open to everyone across the school. So anybody in the law school, the business school, the undergrad, you know, all of the schools there can apply. And basically, you have to design your own sort of human rights project. So I went to Swaziland, which is a tiny little country in, in South Africa, where we worked on a lot of like women's rights, which was an interesting place to do that. In Swaziland, at the time, the... King of Swaziland was taking his 14th wife while I was there. So it was this sort of polygamous society. And I worked in this office with an amazing group of mostly women, but some men too. And they were really working to help with women's rights. And I kind of looked at that from the health aspect. And again, because I had some background in HIV, we did a lot of HIV education and that sort of thing. But it was really amazing to see these women that I was working with who were so capable and who were out on their own, and yet they couldn't even consent to their own dental procedures. They couldn't you know, get a tooth pulled without either permission from their father or their husband. So it's interesting to see you know, what things are like in other parts of the world and what we take for granted here and to kind of see how that intersects with health in my perspective. And it was a really great experience for me.
0: I'm a big fan of just using travel as education. And so you Mm spent a lot of time in Africa, a lot of time in India. What are some things that you've learned just both in the professional path, but also just for you personally?
1: I agree. I think travel and especially, you know, not like just taking a trip for a few days, which is awesome. And I recommend that anytime (laughs) too, but to really be able to live in a place for some time to get to know people there, to work in the environment just opens your eyes in so many more ways to understand different ways of life, to, again, realize what you take for granted in your own life and in your own country and setting, but also just to see all the color and the richness and the vibrancy of another society and the challenges that people face, but to see those differences, but at the same time to see the commonality, because everywhere you go, despite all of these different challenges, people were still focused on the main thing, right? They're focused on their families and their relationships and their jobs and sort of the day-to-day stuff that we all focus on. And so it's nice to see that commonality as well. Then
0: focusing a little bit more on your job. So now you've been in private practice for a while. Can you share a little bit more of your path After you graduated from med school.
1: So after medical school, I went on to residency, which in OB-GYN is four years, I decided to do a fellowship in minimally invasive gynecology because I really enjoyed the surgical aspect of gynecology. And I really enjoyed with this sort of minimally invasive approach, what it means is we use different techniques to try to avoid, you know, big surgeries, big scars, long recovery. So it's it's basically taking care of women's problems and getting them back to regular life as quickly as possible and sort of disrupting life as little as possible. You know, working on a lot of quality of life stuff. It's not as much life or death most of the time, but it's a lot of sort of quality of life stuff and I really enjoyed that approach. I enjoyed connecting with women. And I enjoyed the technical aspects of the surgery. So I pursued a fellowship in that, which was a two year fellowship that I did in Nashville. And then after that started, you know, hunting for jobs, my husband had already landed a job in Miami. So that's what led us this way. And I ended up getting a job initially working for a hospital in South Florida. And then I met my partner during that process and joined her after about two years in the hospital. And I've been with her since.
0: When you went down the process of trying to figure out which one to specialize in, what was it about ob that you liked? And also, what did you want to do in that field? Did you want to be known as like the, you know, best surgeon that specialized in minimally invasive procedures? Or, you know, what was your goal within the space in the field?
1: So what I liked about ob in general was, again, that sort of mix of medicine and surgery, because most fields are one or the other. So surgeons do surgery. They don't have usually a lot of continuity with their patients. They kind of do surgery and then they send them back. Medicine is a sort of long term follow up. It's a lot of talking. I like to, I think it's maybe the sports side of me, I like to be able to work with my hands, but also be able to connect and have those long term relationships with patients. And that's what OB-GYN allows. But there are many different aspects within that field. The pregnancy side of it, I, I liked some parts of it, but to me, especially because I was a residency was in a very high risk pregnancy sort of area, I think I was a little bit traumatized by it. To be honest with you, everything that we did in pregnancy was either it was easy and happy, which was nice, but it was kind of like, well, did I really need to be here? This probably could have happened without me. <laughs> or it was like terrible, and if I didn't act this second, the baby was going to die, or the mom was going to die, and that was kind of traumatic in the moment. And at the time, you know, it makes you feel good to get that rush and to be able to take care of that and to say, okay, well, if I don't get this baby out in one minute, the baby's going to die. And to be able to accomplish that was a big feeling. But I was like, I don't really need that kind of stress in my life every day, which led me kind of more along the gynecology path. And in medical school, when I was looking into ob and I was really interested in two areas. I liked Family planning. And I think that was some of my sort of political belief side. So, abortion rights, contraceptive rights. I feel like nothing stops a a woman's life shorter or sort of curtails her dreams more than an unplanned pregnancy. So, that was important to me. But on that side of things, the technical aspects I didn't find as interesting, but I liked that side. And then I liked GYN oncology. So, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, that sort of thing. Big surgeries, you know, helping people at really difficult parts of their lives. I liked the surgical aspect of that, but I, I as I went through my residency and spent more time, and, and I think that was probably the hardest decision I had to make with my residency, was then whether to do the oncology or not. I realized that although I liked the surgery and helping with those problems, I didn't love the long-term chemotherapy and the radiation therapy and it's really difficult to deal with your patients all dying. It's hard to do. And it, it makes you feel good to be there for people and their families in that moment. But it's draining if that's your practice day after day. I think it really does take a special kind of person to be able to get through that day to day and to kind of keep the, the joy in their life. So I realized that that maybe wasn't for me. And that's partly why I moved on to sort of minimally invasive gynecology, where I felt like I could still get those technical aspects. I could help people, help women to feel better, um, to take care of their pain and suffering and bleeding and, and other things, but didn't have as much of those difficult aspects with the chemotherapy and, and so much end of life stuff, which I thought might, to be honest, might inhibit, you know, my joy with my family and with my life.
0: Yeah, so a little you know. bit selfish,
1: but you know, that's why we have different fields for different people. Cause I think everybody's suited
0: to something a little bit differently. And speaking of you seem so positive and filled with like joy and positivity. And I know as a working mom now in this pandemic that is usually not the case consistently. <laughs> Can you just share with our listeners how you're balancing it all? I mean, literally a career, multiple kids, the pandemic, and just life in elevated moments of stress and anxiety that we're all facing. How do you stay so positive and have such a bright smile to your face the whole time?
1: (laughs) Well, the smile isn't there all the time. But I I do think, you know, I I would agree in general, I'm a more positive person. And I try to keep a smile on my face most of the time. It's been tough this year. I'm not sure if I told you this, but So I had my third baby on February 28th. Two weeks later, the school shut down and my nanny came to work not feeling well and I sent her home and I didn't bring her back for eight weeks. I had a seven-year-old in virtual school and a four-year-old that we tried virtual school for about a week, and that didn't work, and a newborn baby. So that was a challenge, to say the least. But even my husband, who does do, he's a urologic oncologist, so he does do cancer surgery, and even his cases were shut down at the beginning initially. So he was home doing some telemedicine, and there were definitely those trying moments where... The baby was crying, and I had to nurse her. And my four-year-old's having a tantrum. And my seven-year-old needed help on the computer. And I realized it was noon, and I haven't brushed my teeth yet, let alone <laughs> a shower. Forget about it. And we had those moments where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. But to be honest, the majority of it was very positive. And I know we're still going through it, and I'll kind of get to where we are now. But that initial, you know, staying at home and being at home during my maternity leave, and with the kids at home, and and with my husband at home for a lot of it. It was really a blessing for us to be able to have that family time and really be able to connect. And before the kids started going crazy, realizing that they, you know, didn't get to see their friends for months, they were just really happy to have both of their parents at home. And we would have picnics in our backyard and, you know, just try to do little fun things. You know, living in Miami, at least we could get outside a lot, which was nice. So I tried to take A walk almost every day, you know, sometimes by myself, sometimes with the baby, sometimes with all three kids. And that really helps me to stay sane. And I just decided at that point, you know, work was going to wait. I was planning a maternity leave anyway, but I always have projects that I plan for the maternity leave. At that point, I just had to say, you know what, I'm letting go of those projects. We're just going to do what we need to do to get by every day. Since then, of course, I've gone back to work and it's been a little bit of a struggle and my kids are actually back in school in person now. They're at a very small school and it, it works out, but I have just had to shift things around a little bit, try to consolidate my hours so that I can still see patients, but have a little bit more time with the kids in the morning and the evening. Our nanny is back. Thank goodness. She is (laughs) my lifesaver. And, you know, I just have to now, I think that what the pandemic has taught me is to really put things in perspective. And so now when I feel myself getting to that point of, okay, I'm getting overstressed, I'm snapping at the kids, I'm feeling like a failure every day. Like this is not where I want to be. Then I just have to take a deep breath and slow down and say, okay, I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to make these changes to what I have to do. I'm going to let go of these things that aren't priority. And then just, you know, try to move forward like everybody else. It's
0: a glass half full lens that I need to hear more often. So that's helpful. One thing I saw in uh, a picture of you had a picture of yourself in a bikini, and it was using the hashtag MedBikini. Can you share your thoughts on that? And then also just, and I, as an extension of that, it's related, but the gender bias that you find in the medical profession.
1: Gender bias is pervasive, of course, throughout society and throughout the medical profession. The, the med bikini thing was um, related to an article that's since been taken back. But basically it was an article where a few male surgeons were evaluating how residency candidates sort of present themselves. And it was about a lot of different things about professionalism, which again I do agree with the idea of professionalism and that we need to be, you know, professional in our work. But they were saying, you know, now they were looking at candidates social media profiles. And when candidates did things like posted pictures of themselves in a bikini or, you know, other similar sorts of things, drinking alcohol, other things like that, that they then suddenly weren't suitable candidates to be doctors, which is incredibly biased because nobody was worried about men having pictures with their shirts off or in their bathing suits, probably much less concerned about men drinking. And in fact, they often get invited out to drinks with the attendings Women do too sometimes now, but it's a little bit less than the men. And this whole idea that I think it's a very old school idea that a doctor is a doctor and that that comes first and foremost and that they don't have any sort of life outside of that. And it's not true. We all have lives. We have families. We have social lives. And it's part of who we are. Definitely, as a woman going through training, you feel the bias all the time. And I still feel it today. When I go to surgery, I get questioned a lot more than my male colleagues. And that's by everybody. That's by the assistants. That's sometimes by the patients and their families, sometimes by the nurses in the room. And that doesn't really happen with my male colleagues. When I was higher up in my training, sometimes people would look to the junior male intern or medical student to answer the questions. And and that still happens all the time these days. And it's something that we work against. I was a little shocked when I moved to South Florida and I entered a few hospitals and found that they had doctors' locker rooms and nurses' locker rooms. And the doctor's locker room was for the men and the nurses locker room was for the women, which I couldn't believe this day and age still happened because obviously there are male and female nurses and there are male and female (laughs) doctors and non-binary, of course, too, but it's unfortunately something that we're still working through just like every other part of society.
0: Given that experience, and I know we all face it in a variety of different industries and sectors, but does that affect how you treat your patients and also does it affect your parenting?
1: It does. With, I'll kind of start about with patients first and just to sort of recap when you were talking about how I chose the field of ob To be honest, that took a big role in it too because I did do some rotations and where male patients would hit on me or make inappropriate comments or say certain things while I was examining them and It kind of just grossed me out, to be honest with you. And I thought, well, if I treat women, I don't have to deal with this sort of thing. So that was another sort of bonus to going into OB-GYN is that regardless of a woman's sexual orientation, they tend not to make those like inappropriate comments or try to hit on me while I'm trying to take care of them. So that's a benefit. When I approach my patients, especially my younger patients, I try to kind of give them some empowerment, especially when we're talking about sexual health and other things and about you know them taking ownership over their bodies and their decision-making. One of the things that I've had to sort of fight against throughout is that sometimes I'll have patients who come in with a partner, like a husband or, or something, and they, they kind of keep looking to them. And although I want to include everybody's families and their partners in the decision-making, I always talk to the patient. I'll talk to the patient first and then, you know, I'll turn to the spouse or the family member and see if they have questions or if they want to add something. But I always make sure that I talk to the patient first so they know that, that they're the ones that I'm there for. With my kids, definitely in parenting, it's, it's important for me to treat them equally, not the same because they're different people, they're different individuals. but. I try never to say, "Okay, this is a boy thing, or this is a girl thing, or you can do this because you're this or that." It's funny because kids find that on their own, and especially with other kids at school, they're like, "Oh, I don't like that color because that's a boy color. I don't like that because that's a girl thing." And so I try to kind of explore that with them and say, "Well, why do you think it's a girl thing, and why can't you do this?" But it's a challenge, you know. I'm not going to rewrite society on my own, but I I try to at least give them opportunity that are equal, let them choose the same types of sports that they want to do the same, basically anything that they, they choose. I try not to give a, a gender bias to that of course, there's a lot on TV. And my, my son actually always gets mad because there are a lot of these great commercials now about like, be brave, princess, and you could do ev- anything you want. And and he gets mad because he's like, well, where's the one for boys? And so <laughs> I try to explain to him the history of it and how they used to tell girls that we couldn't do this or do that. And, you know, we read a lot of books about those types of things and, and watch movies and, and try to explain it as much as we can. And and then you just hope for the best.
0: But I'd love to, if it's okay with you, just ask the typical questions that I ask all my guests, sure. starting with who or what inspires you?
1: Oh, goodness. <laughs> Obviously, in these times with the pandemic, we've been you know thinking about so many different things and finding inspiration in so many different things. Throughout my career, going through medical school and residency and fellowship, I was really lucky to have so many wonderful mentors. And although I got a lot out of everybody who was teaching me, the people that I always gravitated to the most, and I was lucky to have several both in my residency and my fellowships, were usually women who were maybe just like five to 10 years older than me, who had kind of been through it but not so long ago that they'd forgotten who you know were dealing with relationships and families and still were badass surgeons or great teachers and i've been lucky to have a lot of those mentors to inspire me currently my partner in my practice is a great inspiration you know she has been dealing with so much particularly When this pandemic hit and I was on maternity leave and wasn't very helpful to her and she had to really try to keep our office afloat. And she's just amazing at both being an excellent clinician and she has a couple of kids of her own, of course, and also a great businesswoman just keeping our finances afloat and keeping people employed and really teaching me that. You know, way to be smart about your business decisions, but also be compassionate about your employees and their situation. So she's been inspiring to me. What are you most proud
0: of so far? Oh,
1: goodness. (laughs) I knew you were going to ask this question. And I was thinking about it last night. There are a lot of little moments that I'm proud of right now, like I said, making it through each day sometimes feels like a victory, you know, being able to spend time with my kids, I think my proudest achievement is really not really an achievement, but an ongoing process of finding that balance between being able to take care of my kids. Doing surgery when you're really pregnant is not easy. Taking care of patients and finding time to breast pump is not easy. Finding time for the four-year-old when the seven-month-old needs to nurse is not easy. So I think my proudest accomplishment is, is really just being able to work and balance that. And it's still there are ups and downs with it. But I'm very happy with that. I think career wise, I definitely have those moments where I've gotten through a tough surgery and maybe done it in a way that the patient really wanted that probably somebody else would have given up on for an easier time. And that makes me feel proud. But to be honest, as a, professionally, I think my proudest moments are really just being able to connect with my patients from all ages to all backgrounds. I mean, my youngest patient is six years old, my oldest patient is 102. And I think through training and practice and introspection, I've really learned how to connect with women to kind of meet them where they're at to try to help identify what they're fears are, what their wants are, what their needs are, and to kind of give them reassurance and comfort and knowledge. And to be honest, I'm really good at it. And I'm very proud of that.
0: We talked a lot Mm -hmm. about hardship, whether it's through application of medical school, through the struggles of residency. But can you share maybe one of or maybe the most impactful growth moment that you've had, whether it included hardship or struggle, which I'm maybe sure it did, but if you could include your biggest growth moment?
1: I've definitely had a few, <laughs> a few of those growth moments. One of the most challenging, I'd say, for me was in my fellowship. So as I was sort of getting near the last year of my fellowship, the hospital that I was working for decided they were going to drop the fellowship, which left me to scramble a little bit it was tough. I had to figure out, you know, how things were going to work. And it had happened that I also had a a prior growth moment before this, where I I didn't actually get accepted into my first choice of fellowship, which had been Vanderbilt because my husband, again, went got ahead of me a little bit and had already been accepted to Nashville. He was in fellowship at Vanderbilt. They had one spot at Vanderbilt. I did not get that spot, but I got into a fellowship also in Nashville because there was one other spot in Nashville for fellowship. And I did get into that, but then they dropped it swallowed my pride a little bit. And I reached out to Vanderbilt to the people that had had um, not chosen me initially. (laughs) And I said, Hey, this is what's happened. I want to continue my training. Is there any way that you would have space for me? And they said yes. And so they, they brought me in and like I said everything happens for a reason it really turned out to be great for me because I learned so much in that first year of fellowship that was at more of sort of a private practice kind of institution and I learned so much at Vanderbilt and I really got to combine the best of both worlds and it took some swallowing my pride like I said but it really worked out well in the end
0: now that you've had a successful private practice do you think about your career with steps or goals
1: I do. It's a funny thing because along the way, there's always been the next step in the path, right? You know, you get good grades in high school, so you can get into a good college and then get into a good medical school and then get into a good residency and then into a good fellowship. And then you have to get your first job. And then you get there and it's like, huh, now what do I do? You know, like (laughs) now what is there to strive for? But there's actually still a lot to strive for. So as I said, my top goal right now is really just finding that balance with my family and To be honest, building my practice back up because just like so many people right now, we took a big hit with the pandemic and we're trying to get things back on track. But looking forward, there's always still areas to grow. So I still learn new procedures and new techniques. I never want to be the surgeon who's just doing what they learned in residency decades ago. You know, I want to kind of stay up with the time. So I continue with that. Looking forward, as I said, one of the things that I'm most proud of and that I enjoy the most is connecting with women. So I kind of want to explore some different avenues through things like this or social media or other ways that I can kind of connect with women on a more broad scale. And then eventually I'd like to maybe get back into some teaching and mentoring myself, which I I do really enjoy. I just don't know if I have the time and the effort for it right now while my kids are young, but I think eventually as they grow up, I'd like to develop more of those relationships again too.
0: Well, thank you so much. I know that you're you're juggling a lot. I mean, literally, you're, you're juggling three <laughs> kids and a full-time job in a pandemic, and you still do it with a smile on your face. So that is a job well done. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Again. Where can people find out more about Dr. Jesse Rich? You can
1: find out about my practice, com. You can follow me. I need to open Twitter, as my husband keeps saying. But I have a Facebook and Instagram accounts that are enriched, E-N-R-I-T-C-H-E-D. That's where you can find me.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time to join the show. I just loved our conversation so much. Thank you.
1: I loved it too. Thanks, Ian. Take care.